1: Today's topic is the Amplio story with my friend Trey Clausen. How's it going, Trey? Good, Joe. Good to be on with you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to have you on my podcast. We were talking a little bit before we hit record here, and uh, you were introduced by my friend Sam Larea from Cargo. He was just on my podcast, and he said, when I asked him who should be on my podcast, he said you. So, Trey, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
0: Yeah. So I am Trey Clausen. I am normally in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia, but today I'm calling in from Detroit, Michigan, and I'm yeah. the co-founder and CEO of, of Amplio.
1: Very nice. Very nice. I'm not too far from Detroit. I'm about 45 minutes away. so. Oh, nice! First off, how do you know Sam?
0: So I, I met Sam at, at a conference at beginning of last year. Sam was was presenting Cargo, and I went up after his uh, his presentation and just chatted with him about the solution. Having worked in the supply chain for my career, I saw the deep need for what Cargo was doing, and so we we, we hit it off from from there.
1: Do you guys work together? We do. Yes. Yeah, we, we work closely very together. Very nice. So he's a customer. Oh, It's very nice when one of your customers says, talk to my talk to my uh, supplier. Yeah, Can you nice. pronounce his last name? Are you that far along in the friendship?
0: Yes. <laughs> it. There you go.
1: So anyway, uh, Trey, what do you guys do over at Amplio?
0: Yeah. So our goal at Amplio is to build resilience into our customer supply chains. Our solutions help our customers ensure that they have the inventory that they need for production at the time that they need it at the most optimized price so that they can focus on what matters most in their business, whether they are redesigning a bill of materials because of the the disruptions that are happening in the supply chain, whether they're doing rapid prototyping, testing, scaling, or they're just trying to to achieve their, their production goals. We want to make sure that they have the the inventory that they need to, to hit those goals.
1: Normally, when we talk about becoming more resilient on my podcast, we're talking about transportation and logistics or we're talking about something, you know, having better data so we can make better decisions. All very valid. You're upstream of that, kind of. So how do you guys specifically help make the supply chain more resilient? And by the way, I think you guys only work with electronics guys, right?
0: That's right, yeah so we we focus on the in the electronics industry, and so i I think which is you, super
1: important i mean it's a huge market and a very difficult market, so um those of you in transportation logistics stick around <laughs>
0: yeah, that that's right yeah it's it's a, a globally over three hundred billion dollar market and it has a ten to fifteen percent kager so it's it's growing rather significantly and and even to that point, I, I was looking for a new couch recently, and I noticed there were some couches with semiconductors in them. So even products that shouldn't have chips are now now getting chips.
1: Oh, yeah. I was just looking at a, a chair the same way, and I was like, you know, I'm not so sure I needed an electronic lazy boy. Sounds lazy <laughs> enough that I'm just reclining, you know? <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. And go- going back to the, the question that you asked, I, it, it is really interesting. So you, you mentioned that we're, we're upstream. So I, I, I've i spent most of my career in the, the freight forwarding and logistics space. And by the time that, that you're dealing with transportation, most of the risk has already occurred in the supply chain and is being then "Quote unquote," shipped to to the customer, and so what we're trying to to achieve with with Amplio is working upstream so that we can be making decisions ahead of that, so that customers are making decisions w- with with real time data and and powered by our algorithm to be able to ensure that they that they get the components that they need, locate the inventory that they can't currently find, and and do this at the most optimized price.
1: Yep, we'll get back into some of the use cases here in a minute, but basically, you're do there's All these electronics companies, and there's a million of them, everything's becoming electronic. They're using a lot of off-the-shelf products. And a lot of times, those off-the-shelf products get discontinued suddenly. And somebody's assembly line is going to shut down because they don't have their part. And that's where you guys step in. What do you guys do?
0: Yeah, so we are connected via API to all the the major authorized distributors in the electronics world, manufacturers and brokers, and so we're able to to gather their their inventory levels, pricing, and lead times. So in 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 a lot of cases, our customers are only only sourcing through through. Uh, You know, a handful of of suppliers, and so we we automatically increase the pool of suppliers that they can source their components through. We're also able to find find the critical inventory that 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 is about to shut down shut down a production line. So so right now, our customers as they approach Amplio, they're only recognizing shortages. Uh, one, two, three weeks in advance of, of production, at which point it becomes incredibly critical that they find that that inventory. And what we what we find with with customers that are using Amplio, we're recognizing these 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 disruptions in, in in their inventory levels well in advance, sometimes two three months in advance, so that we're able to mitigate the the shortage from ever ever occurring.
1: Yep. And by the way, I think we all realized during COVID there was other issues. It wasn't just what you, what you described as problem. It was. We realized our supply chains, which we want to be very resilient, in some cases were brittle, and that's not what we needed. And by the way, they worked pretty darn well. And again, it took some heroic effort by a lot of people, obviously. But we all got food. In fact, some of us, like myself, got a little more food than I needed. But amen. <laughs> yeah, I think they called that the COVID nineteen or twenty. <laughs> yeah. But what we realized is is how interconnected everything is and you know the one of the worst things I can speak put my production hat on for just a second if I have all my equipment I bought all my all my inventory I got it all together and it's on an assembly line millions and millions of dollars if I don't have every last part I can't ship I can't assemble I can't ship I can't make that money it's it's horrific. And by the way, it's too late to redesign at that point. I've got all these things sitting there on the assembly line waiting to go together. So this is not a trivial, trivial b- amount of bad news when you say that part was discontinued and we're not going to ship it to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. It, it could be a 10 cent resistor that is shutting down a multi-million dollar production line. but But that 10 cent resistor automatically becomes worth millions of dollars if if you can't find it whether it's it's discontinued or it's not not available through through the the network
1: and now let me say this so let's just say i've been using a resistor from abc company and i say i absolutely need that part and then you say hey you're not getting that part it's they went out of business or they discontinued it and you say this resistor is just as good i know i'll put my engineer hat on for a second my manufacturer like. Wait, prove it. <laughs> right. Do you get into any situation like that?
0: Yeah, so we, we make recommendations to customers of, of form fit function equivalent components. So based off of quality specifications and 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 usage of, of the components, we we make recommendations to customers. Our encouragement is always that they should they should do their own testing before deploying. But we do we do make recommendations. And we, we, we've had several examples where we we've had customers who are in a shortage situation and they can't find a critical semiconductor, we've recommended form fit function equivalents that they've been able to deploy into their supply chain that are readily available. And so, so instead, of, instead of having to shut down their line or pay 10, 20, 30 times the, the normal cost through a broker, they're able to use a, a, uh, an equivalent that we found for them at, at a fraction of the cost. Yep.
1: I like what you said about the testing. I mean, so you're not saying I absolutely positively guarantee because you can't, you don't know what the application is. That's right. Yeah. And I would also say sometimes when I was an engineer, sometimes you'd see one material from one supplier have the exact formulation as a material from another. And then when you go to use it, especially with plastics and stuff, it's just slightly different. It doesn't react the same. So- just because the specs say that it's the same doesn't mean it's the same and uh, you know th- those little differences can make the, all the difference in the world but you give them the opportunity to to quickly switch gears and 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 test that new part out as opposed to <laughs> scrapping it and
0: redesigning. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's they're, they're able to. In some cases, they're able to to do to do the, the tests remotely. And but but yeah, to, to that to that point, we we don't say yes. We guarantee. We 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 definitely ensure that the customers are are uh, doing the testing beforehand.
1: Yep. So let's talk a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Amplio.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and uh, made my way up to Greenville, South Carolina, to attend Furman University. I studied the the very typical degree for a supply chain person. I studied philosophy in urban economics. <laughs> so, I, 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 I all joking aside, I while I was at, at Furman studying philosophy, I I learned how to I learned how to think critically about problems, think with nuance. And, and really rapidly problem solve. And so um, I think that th- those skills, while I am not necessarily uh, thinking about uh, Nietzsche on a daily basis, I do use the skills that I learned uh, at, at Furman to, uh, in, 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 in my my career. I, I then learned that I should probably get some more formal business education. So I got an MBA at, at, at Georgia Tech in uh, strategy and nice. Yeah, and then my, my entire career so far has has been in, in the supply chain. So being in Greenville, South Carolina, there's a, a major automotive OEM there.
1: What was that like Mercedes down there?
0: So it's it's BMW. They their largest oh. global manufacturing plant is is in, in Greenville, South Carolina. So I had the fortune of of managing their their inbound air freight program for for several years, which uh, led to. At least once once a week, I got a call in the middle of the night because there was a component that hadn't delivered on time and was about to shut down production. So while it was this really fascinating experience for me to get to charter planes, run onboard couriers, it, it really started that that thought process of, what does it look like to design a supply chain that is more resilient and can withstand these these disruptions? That is not dependent on a single component, uh, a single source of, of failure. And so that that's the the thread that's really continued throughout throughout my uh, my my journey. And so I worked at at uh, and Flexport, managing mostly automotive, high tech, and industrial manufacturing customers, all with with the the, the thought process in mind of how can we better redesign your supply chain so that you're 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 more resilient? And then most recently, I was leading the international logistics program at Georgia Pacific. So I had the I had the pleasure of of managing all the the imports and exports for for GP throughout the beginning of COVID.
1: That's Georgia Pacific.
0: Yep, that's right. So Georgia Pacific, so major paper packaging manufacturer,
1: one of the largest shippers in the country, I believe.
0: Yeah. So so the the largest exporter from the U.S.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even domestically, I think they ship a ton. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, I am, I am less stressed as a startup CEO than I was managing the international logistics program at GP.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you've done what I think I've, I've been given this advice to many people is rather than look at yourself, if you're in transportation and logistics and you're listening to this, I would highly recommend you get other experience in the supply chain and stop thinking of yourself as I'm a logistics guy and say, I'm a logistics and supply chain guy. And I think the difference is working for people who make stuff. So you worked for BMW, you worked with Georgia Pacific, they make stuff. So you understand what they go through. You went through it <laughs> and, and you were on the logistics side. And now you're saying back to helping procurement. Because by the way, if you go to school and get a supply chain degree these days, which um, neither one of us did, but uh, we got the experience. They're going to teach you procurement. They're going to teach you logistics and supply chain. They're going to teach you how how the supply chain works from order to cash. And I believe that um, tech is going to do a lot more to automate stuff in this in the logistics and supply chain space. So I think it's important that we all become experts in one of those areas, whether it's retail, automotive, manufacturing, you know, industrial manufacturing. Electronics. I mean, there's there's a million places, and they all need experts. Getting off my soapbox.
0: <laughs> Couldn't agree more. And and it's it's ha- having the the breadth of experience. I mean, that, that's been a, a, a key focus for my career is is to be able to get experiences in different parts of the supply chain, and 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 I think most critically, develop empathy for the challenges that folks in those those areas are facing, so that. Yeah. Now, now that as we're talking with customers, I've experienced firsthand the 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 challenges they were trying to solve.
1: Yeah, when they describe them, you get a chill down your
0: spine. Go, oh my god, I've done that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't have to imagine how painful it is. I've 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 lived and felt that pain. (laughs) Yes.
1: So when and why did you start Amplio?
0: Yeah. So we started Amplio in the summer of 2021. So I was. I was within within Coke Industries. Coke Industries partnered together with High Alpha Innovation, which is a venture studio, and endeavored on on the path of of creating uh, creating several startups. And I was fortunate enough to be able to be one of one of the the folks that was was uh, selected to to join that program. And so,
1: so you mentioned what was what was the name of the scope? so it's is it the the Coke guys from Georgia Pacific.
0: Yep, yeah, so so uh, it's it's Coke Industries who owns Georgia Pacific. Coke has a really in- incredibly innovative culture and and also a, a large balance sheet and and was looking for ways to be able to to solve problems that that some of their businesses were facing but also had broader market appeal and so deploy capital, deploy resources and deploy, deploy the comparative advantages that that Coke has. And in order to create this this venture studio model, they they partnered together with with High Alpha Innovation. So High oh, Alpha is a venture capital firm based in Indianapolis, and they're they're also one one of one of our investors and uh, the, the 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 group that helped us get off the ground. So I wouldn't be here without them.
1: I, I'm hearing this more and I'm hearing it more and more that very large companies are saying. We know the importance of innovation, but we also know that it's difficult for us to innovate in our day-to-day business because Georgia Pacific has real responsibility of filling shelves and manufacturing and doing all the things they do. And so if you say, we're going to innovate, you're like, that's great. But I love the idea that they have created, as you call, like an innovation studio. And I've heard that multiple times in my podcast. And I think you're seeing it more and more that, because in the past, I think big companies just said who's going to beat us. Now I think in a lot of ways that these companies are saying some innovator is going to beat us, why don't we join with them right now yep. and be be on that on that cutting edge of innovation rather than waiting for David to come knock us down. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah. No, that that's exactly it. And and I think I think too, if, if you align incentives correctly, then then magic can happen. And in working with a with a venture studio, the, the way that I describe it is is that instead of starting outside the building, we're starting on, on first or second base. So we already did a significant amount of, of work in customer discovery and, and creating a model for for the business before we even started. And so we were able to to de-risk the the notion of amplio before um, before kicking off, and so it it we we started with yeah a a first customer. We started with 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 resources and capital to go to, go deploy against, and so it's it's really set us up for success. It's got a lot of
1: credit, yeah. We have got a ton of credibility behind you too. When you say hey, would you consider? It's not like you're going with somebody who has no um, no resources, no capability. You're like, well, Coke wouldn't be. Backing them, they wouldn't have uh, they wouldn't yeah. have the the uh, seal of approval if they didn't earn it. So, so how did you pick this problem to solve? Which uh, how would you describe your problem, the problem you solve?
0: Yeah, so I, I think broadly speaking, the, the 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 problem is that that supply chains have have been designed in in a way for just in time uh, production, just in time manufacturing, which which means that goods need to arrive on time in order for production lines to to continue running. The The reality is that we live in a world of, of almost daily disruptions in the supply chain. Uh, and so because of that, our, our customers and in, in the global supply chain ecosystem, components are, aren't arriving on time. Production lines are either having to shut down, or you're having to spend a significant amount of money to, to expedite expedite components. And so, then specifically, the, the problem that we that we're solving, we're focused on building for material buyers. Material buyers are the quarterbacks of the procurement processes but in large part are flying blind. They don't have the data that they need to make correct decisions. They don't have inventory levels from their suppliers. They don't have updated pricing. And they're also not using the most advanced tools. And so while these material buyers are the, the quarterbacks, they're the ones responsible for directing the procurement processes, they don't have the tools and data that, that they need to be able to successfully execute. And so that's where we step in is, is we, we, we create the tools we create the data and algorithms to give them the data in, that enables the, the best decisions uh, for, for to enable resilience in their supply chain.
1: Yep. I think you said something that I think is interesting. So we have these just-in-time models. That's how we prefer to work, right? So we don't want to carry a ton of inventory. Carrying costs for inventory is very expensive. And by the way, also, it goes obsolete while sitting on your shelf, which is a horrible thing. But... When that material planner, that buyer says, I want to buy this, he doesn't control all of his downstream suppliers. So even though he's responsible and he's the quarterback, he, he doesn't get to tell that tier one or tier two that he's working with what to do. So they when they say, we no longer make that part, even though he's in a just-in-time environment, it, he doesn't control enough of it to be successful in in all cases.
0: Yeah, that that that's exactly right, and it's it it, it goes to, to something that we mentioned mentioned a little bit earlier too. By the time that the MRP run happens, and and it's telling the material buyer what what. Components by the way, what could by. you explain
1: what that is, please, just so uh, people who are listening who don't come from manufacturing <laughs> can be. Yeah,
0: yeah. So MRP, manufacturer ref- resource planning tool. So it's it's the it's the program that tells the material buyers based off of production, these are the components that you need to order in these quantities at these prices. So typically by the time that the MRP run is happening, there's already a shortage that's that's occurred. There's already fluctuations or disruptions in the supply chain. And so the the, the material buyer then has to react and respond to what what's occurring. With, with our solutions, that we, we know the production plans in advance, and so we're already able to tell the material buyers ahead of their MRP run, hey, you likely won't be able to to, to secure these components with your distributor. You need to find the inventory with these alternative sources so that you can keep, ma- maintain the, the production line that, that you need to maintain.
1: Yep. So you guys have created, uh, obviously it's technology connecting you to uh, your customers, and but you're also connected to a whole bunch of electronics, what'd you say? Brokers and manufacturers, right?
0: Yeah. So so the majority of, of components that are, are procured in, in the industry come through the distribution channels. So there's there's a handful of, of major authorized distributors. Some some of the some of them are in the Fortune 100. So we're, we have API connections into these distributors. We're also connected into some, some major manufacturers as well as brokers and, and 3PLs. So the, the goal is, is to, to gather, gather this data for, for our customers and bring into one, one location powered through our algorithm to enable them to make the most optimized decisions in their, in their supply chain.
1: Before we hit record, you you mentioned the importance of community, which took me a little off because I was like, "Wait a sec, community? A whole bunch of electronics goods shipping doesn't sound like a community to me." So explain what you mean yeah. by the importance of community to to Amplio.
0: Yeah. So my my co founder uh, Taha's and Ify, and I care really deeply about uh, about our customers. I mentioned a little bit earlier, but being able to work. More broadly across the supply chain is, is allowed us to develop empathy. So I've worked in the the operating context and in the freight forwarding world. Taha worked most recently at Project Forty Four, and then before that, Clear Metal. His dad is a freight forwarder in in Morocco, and so we we have really deep empathy for the folks that are are running the global supply chains. And in most cases, the procurement teams are, are really left on an island, and and so. What we offer to to our customers is someone to some someone to talk to and and really uh, level set on 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 their strategies uh, to talk through problems that they're experiencing. We also help people think through ways to deal with stress. So working in the supply chain can be a brutal existence, and if you don't know how to properly operate and properly deal with the stress, then it, it can be be incredibly challenging. And so so we we want to make sure that that our customers can. Uh, that th- we're building a community with them, and we're we're also enabling a a community amongst our customers as well, where they are able to to t- to talk to each other, learn how how they're solving uh, solving problems, and 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 even understand how s- they're, they're working with some of their suppliers.
1: Yeah, that's it's it's interesting because I think to me it seems almost like a best in class uh, solution right now for procurement because we're all trying to build that resiliency back into our supply chains and again i think we had a a really difficult test at covid but though those aren't going away we're going to have disruptions forever i mean they don't go away but what is your backup plan how am i going to and how am i going to make sure i'm not on that island and and if you say hey i got at my fingertips access to a lot of information about what's going on in the markets that I'm buying from. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're buying from markets. We're not just buying from individuals because those individuals could go away tomorrow. And and you know, a lot of this stuff is coming, I'm assuming, from Asia. A lot of these electronics are being made in Asia. We know the problems they're having right now with COVID. We're going to see some political problems in certain regions. We have to be ready at a moment's notice to switch.
0: That, that's that's exactly right. We we see we see a number of our customers working on a China plus one strategy, or even having regional procurement. And so,
1: <laughs> what's China plus one mean?
0: Yeah, China plus one being that that there is a, a supplier qualified in China. Uh, but then there's also suppliers qualified in at least one other country because there's there's such a significant risk. You mentioned COVID. There's also the, the 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 labor risk, tariffs, and then and then the 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 global uncertainty with with China. And so we see companies qualifying suppliers elsewhere, and then even doing regionalization. And so nearshoring is is becoming even more critical, and, and then also securing from a specific region.
1: Yep. And by the way, I spent a lot of time in China back in the 90s. And while well, I enjoyed the Chinese people, I struggled sometimes with maybe the relationship we had with them because they owned half the company that I worked for. Well, they own 51%. But what was also a struggle is um, you know when we when we look right now, the United States, I believe, and I think Canada too, is saying you can't buy from the areas where there might be Uyghur slave labor being used. So suddenly suddenly it's illegal for you as your company to buy from there. And I don't know what they were making, but I do know they're making something there. And so don't be surprised if that happens again. Plus, they are no longer the low-cost country in any market. And part of the problem is they had the one-child policy. They are the fastest-aging country in the world by far. So if you don't have young people and you're already not the low-cost Younger people tend to be less expensive. We see we see political risk there also. COVID's a problem. You can't be completely dependent on a region that has problems like that. And because you're going to have labor. I mean, heck, we have labor shortages, labor shortage here in the United States right now. And, you know, even with layoffs, certain people get laid off. Like you mentioned some companies that have had recent layoffs. Those guys aren't going to work in a factory somewhere to make Transistor parts, right? right? <laughs> so just because we have layoffs doesn't mean uh, we have plenty of heads. Because the guys who who work in tech aren't going to switch over and start working in a factory tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it it it, it it's growing increasingly tenuous just to have your your supply chain concentrated in 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 one one country and specifically uh, China right now.
1: Yep. Speaking of which, somebody told, said this on my podcast, and I really would like to figure out which university it was. Somebody said there's a an index of what countries are the biggest risk to have your supply chain in. And I think, I want to say University of Tennessee, somewhere down south. If somebody knows, please hit me up. Because I think that's a, a fantastic thing. If somebody could say, here's the highest risk countries, because I think what we all have to do is start saying, don't tell me about the risk the day after... You can't provide the parts. Tell me a year before so we can start to think about, as yeah. you said, China plus one. And in, and again, even if you move everything, you say, oh, I moved it all to uh, Mexico. Well, there could still be problems. Uh, you mentioned tariffs can change overnight. We Heck, I know in automotive, when I worked in automotive, there was oftentimes a backup supplier and that supplier would have the ability to step in if necessary and they did that at great expense because they didn't want to take a chance that this one supplier can't for whatever reason provide all the parts they needed
0: yeah i we're we're seeing that that in in droves right now with with organizations that historically had most of their components sole supplied we're seeing a number of backup and sometimes tertiary suppliers our, our point of view is that the companies that invest in resilience now are going to be the ones that win in the next five to 10 years, because they're able to withstand the disruptions in the supply chain that we know are coming. And, and so the organizations that don't invest in resilience are going to be left behind.
1: Yeah. And I think about this right now, the problems that you're solving. It might be, as you said, just a little resistor. That resistor could cost a company millions of dollars and 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 then when you go back and somebody says well what could we have done differently well we could have worked with trey and those guys but it would have cost us yeah a little bit (laughs) like would it cost you a million dollars no (laughs) then then start working with them right
0: (laughs) yeah come work with us
1: (laughs) yeah so um Let's do a let's do a uh, little case study here. So we mentioned our buddy Sam. So why don't you describe what Sam's Sam does at over at uh, Cargo? He was just on my podcast. I'll put a link to that uh, episode in the show notes. So describe what Sam's company does, and then let's go through a potential problem they might run into that you can help solve.
0: Yeah. So so Sam's company is is manufacturing visibility towers for the uh, warehousing logistics space. So for cargo like moving in and out. Yeah, on the docks. Yeah, and so so the way that we support companies that that are that are like cargo, we we help them with their bill of material design or redesign uh, based on on availability. We help them locate. Critical inventory and in the event that there's a, a shortage, and we also help them with procurement optimization. And so I'll, I'll walk through through all three. So the the bill of material design redesign enables our customers to to look at the components that have inventory that's actually available, so that as they're they're making making changes, they know what components they can procure. the The locating critical inventory is. In the event that there's a shortage in the market, can we locate inventory so that we can keep the production line running? So it's it's one, two, three weeks in advance of, of production, and I need a part now. And so we're, we're helping customers locate that, that critical inventory, whether it's through a distributor, manufacturer, or broker.
1: Can you tell them what parts are at risk?
0: Yeah, so so we, we go component by component to show the, 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 the relative risk. So we have a, an algorithm that we call sourcing power that indicates our customer's ability to procure those components both now and in the future. It's based off of a number of different factors, but it's, it's essentially enabling the customer to see this component that's in the bill of materials is is likely to ex- be in the market in a year or it's, it's highly unlikely to be in, in the market in a year. And then the last piece is, is the procurement optimization. So we are are working with, with customers to be able to they, they upload their bill of materials and their production plans and we tell them where to where to procure their parts at what prices over what timeframes so that they can they can first optimize for the availability of the components and then secondarily optimize for 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 pricing. So so our, our customers that that are are working with us in, in all three of those those use cases. They're saving about 20% across their material buyers. The material buyers are saving about 20% of of their their operational time. And then the, the, the real significant savings that our customers see, because we have the ability to understand what's happening in the future in the market, we're reducing the need for our customers to source from expensive brokers by about 80%. And we're also finding less expensive suppliers for the specific components. So all told... We're saving about ten to fifteen percent on the cost of the bill of materials for for a customer, and that's money that goes right to the bottom line for for these oh, customers. Yeah. By by recognizing the 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 uh yeah the the most the most cost optimized, and all while all the while they are getting the components they need to keep their production lines running. So the promise of the customer is. There doesn't have to be a trade-off between resilience and cost. With with Ampli, you can have both both scenarios.
1: Yep. And by the way, I was talking to a friend of mine, a consulting company this morning, and they do procurement and they're here in the Detroit metro area. So, you know, I think a lot of the purchasing best practices kind of started in the automotive just because of the the volume, I mean, the volumes are so high. But he said last year and the year before, he said purchasing was all about scrambling scrambling to get parts so you could have helped them prevent that that's the nature of your business but he said now he says companies even though there's a little bit of a downturn we're starting to feel he said now all the manufacturing and companies that he talks to are saying let's get strategic again and you can help them there too and and he said and by the way when you have to scramble you have to scramble but you can make that a lot easier but what you really prefer is the customer say we're going to be strategic. We're going to know upfront what is the potential risk, and we're going to mitigate that risk six months before we have to, a month before we have to, a week before we have to have those parts.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that's exactly right. It's, it's looking at, at both the immediate and it's also looking at, at the future. So we, we can solve both scenarios for, the, for, those, for those customers. And, in,
1: and the nature of your business is you have no choice but to, to deal sometimes and be reactive. And you can help them when they have to be reactive. But what you prefer is use our tool, become part of our community and be proactive. So getting back to like Sam's situation. So Sam's got these cool towers and it it will it's a vision system. So it tells you what you're putting on that truck and it films it. And by the way, I think that's a fantastic tool. I talked to a friend of mine. I want to introduce to Sam because as you're loading a truck, sometimes at the end, somebody says, hey, did you put those 16 pallets on? Yes, we sure did. I'm only seeing 15. Well, we put 16 on, right? Who's to know? Well, cargo knows. <laughs> so um,
0: That's right. yeah. it's, it's a much needed solution in the market.
1: Yes, absolutely. And by the way, I call, we have little gaps in the supply chain sometimes where somebody says my warehouse management system said that we loaded 16 pallets. The trucking company says we loaded 15 or 16 or whatever they said, but you got one more source of truth with cargo, where somebody says, hey, our vision systems don't lie. By the way, our our film doesn't lie either. Here it
0: is. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: So let's just say they're building somewhere, I'm assuming in the USA, but they've got all these parts coming from overseas. Let's just say they find out today, a part I need, let's just say it's a camera, because I know they have some sort of camera. The camera that we've been using that we love all of a sudden isn't in supply anymore. I go log into Amplio and do what?
0: Yeah, so you you log into Amplio, you look up that that particular component. We have we have all the data associated with with that 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 component. So inventory, pricing, lead time, replenishment dates from from manufacturers, and so uh, we're we're able to sh- to to show to show the the the, the customer the. If, if there are locations that we can buy that particular alternative sources for that particular component, whether it's a, a, a distributor or a broker, we also are recommending form fit function equivalents of, of those components. I like as that. Well so we we take the the quality specifications for for the part and are making recommendations to the customer of hey you you might want to consider these parts these these are available in inventory right now. we can ship them to to resolve the the, the component shortage." our recommendation to, to the customer is is always please do your own testing we're, we're not we're not necessarily guaranteeing that it works but we're trying to make these recommendations to mitigate the shortage for the customer
1: right no nope, nobody can know i mean on your end can know the exact application so it is still their responsibility to say yes even though this looks like the exact part we were using yeah. we still have to test it we still have to do the our, our leg work make sure but let's face it we could be doing that anyway, no matter what the part was. But you're just helping me get it now, maybe. And, and again, m- more likely, your customers are going to get more and more proactive. And at some point, you'll say, I don't know what percent are reactive versus proactive. But I imagine a few years from now, you're going to say, they're all moving to be proactive.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so the, most of the customers that have been working with us for a period of time, are moving more towards the, the the proactive, where because because they have the they're working in our platform, they have the data and they have the visibility to what's going to happen in the market, and so they're they're having to to source from brokers significantly less. So typically, first first order of business with the customer coming in is is that they they have a lot of shortages. We're helping them resolve those, but then over time, they have fewer and fewer shortages because they have they have the data in our platform.
1: Yeah, you take them from that scrambling harried mode to calm cool collected let's plan the future mode <laughs> so yeah, exactly so let's wrap this bad boy up so who do you guys serve who's your sweet spot in the market
0: yeah, so our sweet spot right now is is we're really focused on rapidly growing hardware manufacturers and their contract manufacturers. So typically these these hardware OEMs are working with a contract manufacturer. So we we see the sweet spot is is both of the both of the companies actually working and, and collaborating together in Amplio. We we have some large tier one uh, customers in our ecosystem as well, uh, but but our 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 major focus is is on these these rapidly scaling organizations because we see that that lack of lack of visibility into inventory availability and the, and the inability to to procure these parts. It could be an inhibitor of success and we want to make sure that their their innovations are getting out in the
1: market yeah and by the way so you you do work in that electronic space which i think you said up front is rapidly growing and i imagine if this is if you guys continue to be successful you might look at other markets but this one's going to keep you pretty busy for a while <laughs> yeah that's
0: enough to do in the electronics ecosystem for for quite some time for sure
1: yeah so how long if, if somebody Listens to my podcast says I want to work with Troy and or Trey and his team. How do how long does it take you to kind of get them signed up, get them trained, and get them using your system?
0: Yeah, so the the beautiful thing about about our system is is that we we have uh, so so Taha and the team have designed our our database to be incredibly flexible. Uh, so it's it's within within typically a business day that we have customers onboarded into our into our platform and and we we want to make sure that we get we're delivering significant value in a really short amount of time and so we like to understand we typically have a conversation first with with the customers to, to understand the problems that they're, that they're trying to solve and and we can make sure to direct them in, in how to effectively use the platform but one of the really exciting things that, that we're launching is is the ability for customers through through our website to be able to upload, Upload their bill of materials and and start uh, working working for free with with Amplio. So uploading the bill of materials and just doing a quick evaluation of what's happening in in their in their bomb.
1: Oh, and I imagine a lot of them call you right after when they realize you yes. know when you say at risk at risk at risk and they go damn get on the phone. <laughs> that's uh um, that, that's the whole goal. Yeah. That, yes, exactly. Well, it, but you're still providing a service because for free they're understanding okay, some of these are at risk and they don't have to use you, but they'd be stupid not to. Yeah. So I also like when you say there's not much training, I think in the olden days, not so long ago, whenever you've got a new system, there was always like, well, go to the, you got to go do the training. And it's like a one day. And it was like, press F8 to get to this screen. And you're like, <laughs> and today the expectation is it's going to be intuitive it's going to be the, what I call consumer-grade technology, where I, I, don't, I didn't get training to use Amazon or eBay or anything like that. No one said, are you trained to use the Domino's app? No, <laughs> I just use it. And I think that's what we expect in our business life now.
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Our, our, our goal is, is to design the, the product to, to be usable, essentially out of the box for the customer, where they don't need significant on, on hand, help from, from our team. It's, it's an intuitive platform and we, we want to make sure that the customers get the value as quickly as possible, that they're getting to those aha moments of, of real value as, as, as quick, as as quick as they can.
1: Yep. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to, um, Amplio and any other links you give me, uh, marketing assets that you might have that you want to share. I will put a link to those. And are you guys gonna be at any conferences this year?
0: Yeah, so we're we're headed to the IPC Apex Expo uh, in a couple weeks in San Diego and then we'll also be at Manifest in Las Vegas. Oh, the, I'll uh,
1: see you there. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll be at Manifest. All the all the cool kids will be in there. I, I imagine I'll have to sneak in. So um anyway, thank you very much, Trey. It's a pleasure talking to you and congratulations on your success. And one last thing. Who should I interview on my podcast? A smart young person like yourself.
0: Yeah, so I, I think that, that I'd, I'd love to recommend Harris Ligon. He is the CEO for Telegraph. Uh, they are innovating in the, in the rail space right now, and they are a fellow construct capital.
1: All right, excellent. Well, I will definitely reach out to Harris, and I'll tell him you sent, sent me. Thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate.
1: Yep, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.